This is Life in the Passing Lane, an audio biography by me. I'm Alex Bennett. And welcome to this chapter, which we simply call Flora Duh, Part 2. As you may remember in our last chapter, we were stuck in the most disgusting situation of my broadcasting career. Uh, to resummarize, we're in Florida, more particularly Miami, Florida. More particularly, we're working at a radio station called WIOD, which normally stands for Island of Dreams, but in this case, Island of the Damned. I uh, had started working there because couldn't find anything to do in San Francisco, and I'd been offered a really good job at this Florida radio station, the premier talk station in all of Miami and the Dade area. So it was really, uh, really quite something. The only problem was the guy I was working with, the guy who went on after me, was the most popular broadcaster in all of Southern Florida. And his name was Neil Rogers. Now, under normal conditions, when you go to a radio station and you, you work at a radio station, you come in, everybody at the station kind of gathers around and, and gives you support. You know, they plug the new guy coming on and, hey, why don't you listen to the new guy? And, uh, hey, we're proud and happy to have him as our newest addition to our staff. But not so with Neil Rogers, who had he given me his blessing would have been terrific, but I didn't get his blessing. And as a matter of fact, I got quite the opposite. I got things like, that Alex Bennett really sucks. Alex Bennett shows terrible. You know, I mean, he would do everything he could to sabotage me. And I couldn't figure out why. And as I also said in the last chapter, I had saved the man's life. Yes, because he had come in one day and said, I couldn't sleep last night. My arm is numb. I said, get to the doctor right now. You probably had a stroke. And sure enough, he had had a stroke. And if I hadn't sent him to the damn doctor, he would have been dead. Instead, what do I get for my little caring and effort? More enmity when he gets back from the hospital. Oh, Alex Bennett's this and Alex Bennett's that. And now on top of that, they get a show to go on after Neil's with two assholes by the name of Rick and Suds. You know, Rick and Suds. Wow, that's really, you know, what a great showbiz name that is. You know, it was one of those typical kind of, it wanted to be a morning show, but it was on in the afternoon, okay? And it wanted to be one of those personality shows, but neither of these guys had anything even beginning to represent uh, 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 personality. So anyway, it sound like I'm mad. Oh, I was just abundantly mad because they went on after Neil. And Neil, of course, said, oh, Rick and Suds, Rick and Suds are wonderful. Rick and Suds are terrific. And they went, we love you, Neil. We love you. And, 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 and then they proceed to start going after me. All right. That's bad enough. Now, let me explain something to you about Miami at that place and time. This was 1990. And it was kind of, I could almost, the best way I could describe it is it seemed like a town that was coming down off cocaine all at the same time. As you know, Miami had been the cocaine capital of the world. 
And let me let me tell you something that's very strange here. You know, when I was in San Francisco, I um, I had a bit of a cocaine habit. I you know it was a strange kind of habit. It was uh, it wasn't how can I put it? It it wasn't the kind of habit where I was spending tons and tons and tons of money that I couldn't afford to get this drug and was just uh, you know downing it every second of every day. I mean, I would get coke and I would water it down, okay? And then I would have this little bullet that I could snort on and I would do it every now and then. I was what I called, uh, a, a, you know, like a teetotaler, but only with cocaine, all right? So yeah, I had a, 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 a habit and I was, uh, I was worried that going to Miami where I didn't have a dealer, I might kind of have a bad time. But I found after a couple of days, I was just fine. I had pretty much, uh, I think I ran out of my last uh, snort at the Florida border. And then uh, we were there for a couple of days. And after about maybe three or four days, I, I didn't even want it anymore. That's how much of a user I really was. I mean... It was persistent, but it wasn't addictive. How can I put it? But now I moved to Florida, the place where there's more coke than there is in heaven, okay? And I don't know anybody, so I can't score it. And secondly, when I finally did get to know some people and I did was able to score it, I didn't. Because I just figured as long as I've gone this far and I'm not using it anymore, I'll I'll stay off of it. See, I've always been very good about about uh, uh, addictions. Uh, it was the same way with uh, cigarettes. One day, I decided to quit cigarettes after 20 years of doing cigarettes, and I just stopped. Wow. Really, Alex? You just stopped? Yeah, because when I want to stop things, I do. And in that case, I just said, I've had enough of the Coke. That's it. I'm not doing it anymore. And that was it. So when I was finally presented after a few, after about a month, when I met people who did have it available to them, I kind of turned it down. I just said, "Ah, that was that was before. This is now." But the town itself, you know, had had this big cocaine thing going on down there for you know, for years, and it now seemed like a town that was coming down off coke. Everybody at the same time. And the reason I say that is. The people in Miami were really pretty goddamn nasty. I mean, really nasty people. And um, uh, and I, I say that because I was running a talk show. And you can always tell the nature of the people in an area by doing a talk show. You know, and I did a talk show in San Francisco. People had were light and breezy, you know, and they were just kind of goofy and whatever. But these people who called this radio station were some of the meanest, nastiest callers I've ever gotten in my life. And now add to that the fact that you have Neil Rogers saying, Alex Bennett's an asshole. I don't like Alex Bennett, boy. Um, what? And then they would call me up and give me a bad time just for the sake of giving me a bad time because Neil didn't like me. So now start putting this all together, right? Neil Rogers doesn't like me. The callers hate me. And, and, and Rick and Suds are bashing me in the afternoon. You know, and I didn't do anything. I, I, I got to tell you, you know, I, there are times I've been an asshole in my lifetime. 
you know. Uh, I look back on it, I wish I had been, oh, slightly easier to work with for management back in San Francisco. And there are times when I feel that I've been overly nasty in a particular situation, uh, and I, I regret that. But I got to say, in Miami, I was being the nice guy. Yes, how are you, Neil? Even in the middle of him just absolutely savaging me, I was still, hi, Neil, how are you? Having a nice day? And, of course, Neil, you know, off the air, wasn't about ready to go after me. It was only on the air that he was doing it. So with all those things going, and now I'm living in Coconut Grove. Let me tell you a few things about Coconut Grove. Coconut Grove is a very trendy area of town, especially on Friday and Saturday nights. I didn't know this when I started renting a place in Coconut Grove. I just thought, oh, Coconut Grove. I've always heard about Coconut Grove. Hey, my father, when he was a musician, played at the Coconut Grove in Los, in, in, uh, Los Angeles at the Ambassador Hotel. Uh, gee, Coconut Grove. And now I'm living in Coconut Grove. Friday and Saturday nights were a living hell. I couldn't get out of my apartment because I couldn't back out of my garage because of all the human traffic that was going through there. So I had moved into a terrible, terrible neighborhood. I could have moved into someplace quiet, but hey, I didn't know Miami. I didn't know where you get stuff. Coconut Grove sounded fine to me. You add all the stuff together. You add it all up. And it is just a living nightmare. Now, I'll tell you how bad it was. I remember waking up in the morning, one morning, uh, opening my eyes and going, oh, fuck, I'm still in Miami. Really? I said that to myself. And that wasn't going to be the last time I said that. Many a morning I woke up and said, wow, <laughs> I'm still in fucking Miami. I thought, you know, I thought maybe this was some kind of bad dream I was going to wake up from. Uh, but I, I didn't exactly want to quit the job. It was paying really good money, and I figured, eh, you know, this thing will take care of itself. Let me tell you a few other things that happened, though. And this is really get to you. This is my favorite story of Miami. I leave the station. I, I usually left, what, about, I think it was maybe 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm driving down the causeway, and as I told you, the causeway are like those bridges that go between Miami and someplace else, and in this case, it was, uh, it was Miami Beach, all right? And um, I, um, I'm driving, uh, and I'm driving at proper speed, and you know, I'm not doing anything erratic or anything else, and all of a sudden, I, behind me, there are red lights, and it's a cop car, and it wants to pull me over. And I'm going, I can't figure out what they can pull me over for. I'm, I look down at the speedometer, and I'm going the right speed, and, you know. And I, uh, they, they tell me, uh, they then put the siren on and tell me to pull in. And occasionally you could pull in on these causeways because there were kind of places along the way, like the radio station. They kind of built a radio station off the causeway, and this was a turnout, okay? So I turned out. And um, cop uh, gets out of his car, and he knocks on the window, and he says, get out of your car. I'm thinking, what the hell's going on here? You know, I don't 
you know, it wasn't doing anything wrong. He says, get out. I said, okay. So I get out. And he says, uh, they start patting me down, okay? Uh, and another cop car pulls up now into this little compound. And out of that car comes a policeman with a police dog. Now, let me put it this way. I don't pee my pants. But if I was ever going to pee my pants, it was going to be then. I've got these two nasty cops, plus now another cop with a police dog who's now kind of smelling my crotch and growling. And I'm going, what's this all about? And they said, shut up. So I shut up. And they're now checking my car. They're going through the car. They're oh, you know, pulling up the seats and they're like, they're looking for stuff. And I, I, I'm not worried about it. Hell, there aren't any flakes of coke in that car. I haven't been doing coke in a month or so, right? What else could they be looking for? I don't have any pot in there. They couldn't find any pot in there. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried. And they come back and they go, hmm. And they start asking me a whole bunch of questions. How long you lived here? Where do you live? Blah, 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 blah. And uh, I, uh, what, what, why don't you, why do you have a California driver's license? I said, well, I just moved here. Why don't you have California plate or Miami plates or, you know, Florida plates? And I said, because I don't, I just got here from California. I haven't had time to do that. They say, where do you work? I said, down at the radio station, WIOD. Now a friend of mine, who sees that there's something going on, is driving past and uh, pulls in himself to see what's going on. The guy I got in the know was a comedian in town. And he c comes over and he says, well, what is this all about? Uh, and they go, get out of here right now or we're going to arrest you too. Arrest you too? Uh, this is the scariest I, I think maybe the scariest situation I've ever been in in my whole entire life. And so he says, Alex, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Bye. You know, he wasn't going to stick around, and I don't blame him. I'm, you know, I'm not going to say he's a coward. I'm going to say he probably did the right thing. Anyway, um, this goes on for another, I don't know, 15 minutes or so. And they're not telling me what they're why they stopped me or whatever, but they're constantly intimidating me, scaring me. The dog is growling, uh, and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm beside myself. And I said, look, after a while, I said, enough is enough already. Uh, are you going to arrest me? What are you going to do? They said, listen, you're Alex Bennett, right? And I said, yeah. They said, we know about you. I said, what do you know about me? He said, we got a call over at the station saying that you've been putting down the Miami-Dade police on your radio program. I said, that's ridiculous. I haven't said a word about the Miami-Dade police because, quite frankly, I've had no ongoing relationship with the Miami-Dade police, and I wouldn't know what to, what to say about you even if I did. And they said, well, we got a call that you were saying nasty things about us. I said, you got a call from who? Said one of your listeners. I said, do you really trust that? 
I said, I never said anything wrong about you guys. And he goes, well, harumph, harumph. And they know now they can't do anything to me. They're just harassing me because they heard that I had said nasty things about them. And this was the way the Miami-Dade police acted in those days. They felt they, they could get away with anything. And chances were in those days they could. And that's why I was, you know, uh, I was like a, a black kid who had been told by his parents what to do when, his cops, when the cops stopped him. I, I acted in exactly that fashion. I wasn't about ready to start up with these guys. So finally they looked at me and they said, okay, well, you can go. And by the way, you better get a driver's license fast and you better get yourself a, uh, a, a, a license plate fast. And they left. I am, they left and I'm shaking. I've never had anything like this happen to me in my entire life. And I am absolutely beside myself. And I, I really don't know what to do about this. Uh, should I go to the police department and complain that I was being harassed by the police department? Well, no, that would probably only get me into more trouble. So I just decided, forget it. And I went back to my place and uh, there was my, my girlfriend, X, who had joined me. I told her the story, and she thought it was terrible. And it was somehow that was the turning point for me and Miami. It was like, after that, I don't think I could have stayed. Because now I was afraid of everything I did in that town. Now, before I get to the closing part of this whole story and what happened, let me tell you something else that I did that I wasn't that proud of, but I'm, I'm kind of glad I did it. I, you know, and um, I had uh, never been what you would call the most loyal of boyfriends, although I was always very honest about my predilections to, oh, say, having quick affairs here and there. Uh, and uh, But things were good for, you know, X and I in Miami because I wasn't meeting anybody and I wasn't running off and doing nasty things or making excuses why I'm home late or whatever. And uh, I, was, I was confirmed uh, to be as good a boy as I possibly could. Well, she had to go back to California. She wanted to go back to see her mother for a couple of days, so I got her a plane flight back, and she went back, and so I'm all on my own. Uh, back in New York, years earlier, I had had a girlfriend, and her name, I'll call her Rita because that was the professional name she used. But I met this, uh, this uh, girl, and I met her under very weird circumstances. One day... Uh, I, I'm doing my show at WPLJ, and I get a call from this woman off the air because she said she wanted to talk to me off the air and said, I need your help, Mr. Bennett. Can I come up and see you? So I told the guard downstairs, let her up. She came up. She sat there. She looked scared. She then, after the show, told me this story about how she had been drugged and wound up in Staten Island in a field somewhere and doesn't know exactly what happened to her. She had all her clothes on, didn't look like she'd been raped, but she didn't know. And uh, she, she just wanted to be with somebody uh, rather than, and she, it scared her. 
So she said, uh, after the show, could, could you take me home? And I said, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll take you home. Where do you live? She says, out in Queens. And uh, as we start driving out of the station, I notice that there's a car following us. And I'm thinking to myself, this is very weird. This woman was met some people, apparently was drugged, wound up in Staten Island in a field. Now she's with me. Now I have her in the car. And now there's this car following us. And so I go down the street. I go down Fifth Avenue. And then I, I, I turn on one street. And it follows me when I turn the street. And then I turn another street. And it follows me as I turn another street. And then I finally go back up to Fifth. And it's still following me. And finally, I said, there's a car following us. And she looked and she went, oh, my God, there is a car following us. And I, I, then I just was beside myself, okay? And I, I decided the only thing to do was confront it, and I put the brakes on in the car, and the other car stops, and I get out of my car, and I go back to that car, and I knock on the window, and he rolls down the window, and I said, are you following me? He says, yeah, I wanted to meet you, Alex. It was some kind of guy who just wanted to meet Alex Bennett. But I, I was so paranoid by the story she had told me. Well, anyway, that was the beginning of a, of a relationship that went on for quite a while. And it was a heavy, really heavy sexual relationship. But I kind of, uh, she kind of drifted away. And she drifted away because all of a sudden one day she does, decided, you know what would be a good business for me? I'm going to go into porn. And she went into porn. Back in those days, it was kind of an innocent proposition. You just did it, and everybody's having a lot of fun, you know, doing stuff their parents wouldn't want them to do. And she became a uh, porno actress by the name of Rita Davis. She only made a couple of films. And um, after that, I hadn't seen her for years and years and years and years and years. In fact, I hadn't seen her. One day, I'm at the station, and the girlfriend is in California. And she says, uh, the phone, phone caller says, hi, this is Rita. I said, Rita? Rita from New York? She says, yeah. I said, wow. She says, yeah, I'm living up here in Boca Raton, and I heard you on the radio, and I wanted to say hi. And I said, uh, well, what do you want to do? And she says, why don't we get together? And I said, fine, where do you live? And she said, Boca Raton. Here's how you, and I, I go up to Boca Raton. I knock on the door. She opens the door. There she is, still the same woman I always kind of knew, a little bit older. Both of us were. It was maybe now, what could this be, 15 years later? Okay. And yes, we had sex. Now, the purpose of me telling you this story is the amazing epiphany that I had. Because I wondered, after all these years, would we be as good in bed as we were then? Because we were always good. There was never a bad moment sexually between us. And that night, I found out something very interesting. If you haven't had sex with somebody for like 15 years, it's exactly the same way it was 15 years earlier. And somehow, 
while we were having sex, she looked 15 years younger and I felt 15 years younger. And afterwards, we both marveled at that because she said she got the same feeling. It was like nothing had stopped, only it was 15 years earlier. And we had our little affair and I had a nice time with her and it was wonderful. And believe it or not, that's the last time I ever saw her. And I went back to Miami and X came back from California. And of course, I'm not about ready to tell her what went on. And probably if she's listening to this, this is the first time she's heard of that. But I just found that an interesting story because the interesting upshot of is that, you know, it's kind of, it kind of, you kind of feel young. Uh, you kind of feel younger because you're, you're having the same sex you were having 15 years earlier. I don't know how to explain it, but I thought I'd make it part of the story. Hope you found it interesting. Getting back to my miserable life in Miami, Florida. So I can't take it anymore. Things are just getting completely out of hand. All right? And uh, it is just gets worse and worse. And I am more and more miserable. And it's, it's affecting my performance. It's affecting my mood with everybody around me. And finally, one day I'm driving into work. Uh, I'm work, driving into the station, actually. And Rick and Suds are on the air. This is like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm, I'm driving towards the station. I'm not exactly going to the station. And I hear them on the air. And they're not just going after me. They're now making fun of X, of my girlfriend. And that was the last straw. I, you know, it's kind of like the mob. You know, you, you can come after me. Don't, don't, don't bother the family. And, you know, she was family. She hadn't done anything. The only thing she had done wrong is that she uh, was uh, a girlfriend of mine who was now going to be the uh, barb of every joke that these two nitwits decided they were going to do. And I went down into the station, into the studio, and I said, quit going after my girlfriend. I said, that's out of bounds. This, I did this on the air, screaming and yelling. And I said, and if any of you, either of you, disagree with me, then let's go take it outside. You know me, I'm not a brawler, and I hope they wouldn't take it outside. But I said, take it outside. And it, it, to this day, I think they still have tapes of it down in Florida that to his death, Neil Rogers kept playing over and over and over again. And that right after that incident, I walked into Mike Disney, the general manager of the station, and I said, that's it. I'm through. I've had it. And he said, good, because... We kind of think you should leave. And I went back, told X, uh, and by the next morning, we had packed everything up. I had left a key for somebody to let UPS in to take all my stuff, because there wasn't a lot of it, and ship it back to California. And by noon the next, that next day, we were at the Florida border. I swear to you, I got out of that town that fast. It has to have been maybe the most arduous and horrible time that I've spent anywhere. It's just the worst working situation you can possibly imagine. And uh, that's why to this day I really don't have a positive feeling about uh, Flora, duh. Um, 
You know, somebody said to me once, that at the rate things are going, the seas are going to rise, and eventually Miami is going to be underwater. And my answer was, good. And a couple of years later, actually a couple of years ago, we got word that another stroke happened with Neil Rogers, only this time it killed him. And Neil Rogers was dead. And you know what I said about that? The same thing I would have said about Miami getting flooded. Do I have to say it? No, I don't. Well, we left Florida. And where we went from there was yet even another interesting story. This has been Life in the Passing Lane, an audio biography by me. I'm Alex Bennett.